Welcome to the Sports Entrepreneurs Podcast. I'm your host, Marcus Lure. Today, we're crossing over to San Diego, California to catch up with Zach Sugarman. Uh, welcome to the podcast, Zach. Hey, Marcus. Thank you for having me on. Really, really excited to be here. Yeah, excited to, to spend the next hour with you here. Um, and let me sort of frame what we'll be talking about. Uh, Zach has uh, been in the industry for almost two decades and spent a very large portion of that with uh, Wasserman Group. Um, and so we're going to dive deep into that. Um, and then we'll follow up with what Zach is doing right now as the Chief Strategy Officer of Demand Sports. And Demand Sports is a very unique uh, platform. It's a top of funnel lead sales solution provider. I know it's a mouthful, and we'll uh, you know unpack that later. But um, as a sales guy myself, I got very excited uh, understanding how the platform works and and what the the services Zach and his company are providing. So, uh, if you are in sales or someone who has something to do with a PNL, you want to listen to this because it's very important. Um, so. But before we get there, Zach, let's start where it all uh, started. Uh, as usual, coming out of college, um, you ended up with a company called Sportnet, um, which I think is part of Wasserman, or maybe later on became it. Uh, so take us back to those days and, and tell us about it. Yeah, Sportnet um, is Wasserman, was Wasserman. Uh, it was just a brand kind of within it, focused on some action sports. But yeah, coming out of school, always been a diehard sports fan, um, studied a lot of the economics of sports in college, was the director of sports on the radio station, wow. did play-by-play on NFL and hockey and basketball. So definitely well, always wanted you, you to do have a voice sports. for that, actually. I could see that. Oh, yeah. thank you. <laughs> we got the face for radio, too, they say. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I, I didn't say that one. Right. Okay. I know. I did. Right. Um, <laughs> no. So I'll, always got into sports. Actually, um, I grew up. Uh, with a good family friend that was a big time baseball player agent. And so from early on, uh, was really into sports, but very much learned I personally did not want to be an agent after kind of seeing what that life was like, but was always fascinated by the stories and the interactions and the business uh, deals he was involved in. Right. And so it's also coming out of school, I've done a lot of research um, on, you know, what was new in the sports space. And it was right around the time that Casey Wasserman had formed um, Wasserman as a whole, Wasserman Media Group, right. and was really fascinated um, with his story and what he was able to do. And so from college, actually, was very much wanting to try and land a role at Wasserman. Okay. And the fa family friend that was a player agent at the time um, had a connection in at Wasserman, a gentleman by the name of Jeff Napple, who was leading the sales division of Wasserman. Jeff Napple, an industry titan um, on the sponsorship sales side, went on to run Van Wagner. He's now at Elevate Sports. Um, had an informational interview, did not have a role on his team open, but they had a role open at Sportnet. Uh, so really got in there as a business development associate and have an economics background. I love numbers. And basically the job was to help evaluate uh, potential film deals that Sportnet would go finance. These were action sports films. So you're talking surf films, skate right. films, snowboard films. And we distributed and sold them to mom and pop surf shops, to Target, et cetera. They were actually DVDs. Um, oh, right. And yeah. Yeah, yeah, so you're talking like 2005. Yeah, yeah, early, early 2000, right. Right. And, and then it expanded. Like it turned into Sportnet. Like it started with DVDs and then with the dot-coms to kind of transition into a skateboard.com, a motocross.com, 
And that's where it kind of started. Got in heavy on the action sports side, uh, helping to kind of identify, you know, those films to distribute. Uh, and then naturally just went into kind of selling sponsorship into those films as well. Right. Okay. Got it. And uh, yeah, so uh, no, that's interesting. I mean, the, uh, again, I've, I knew a bit about what Wasserman has been doing and, and Casey has been doing over the, over the years. I, I had no idea that he was in that sort of, uh, film business as well. I guess it comes a bit from, uh, the family background. <laughs> I mean, it must be, um, that's it. Now you did this for a couple of years and then you sort of transitioned into a, a digital role. Um, but before we go there, maybe let's let's spend a little bit of time on unpacking a bit the Wasserman. Um, you know, you've as I said, you spent 17 years there, so you've obviously seen the company grow from you know when it started and and where it is now to some degree uh, when you recently left. So uh, before we get a little more into your own role there, sort of let's just give people a bit of a sense. Um, you know, most people in the industry, I'm sure, would have heard about it, especially if in the U.S., uh, but not maybe all parts of the world. Uh, Wasserman is that well known, so. Let's let's do a little sort of summary of you know your own uh, you know seventeen years, but also you know how Wasserman as a group has grown over that period of time and and how it kind of started and and what you saw you know being part of that. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, when I started at Wasserman, there were about seventy employees in two offices, and then when I, when I left March of twenty twenty two, somewhere near I don't seventeen hundred employees and. Wow. 15, 16 offices across multiple countries and expanded business lines. I mean, at the core. 17 to 1700. Okay. That's a serious, that's, yeah. that's incredible. Yeah. Yeah. So a lot of growth. Um, and the, the beauty about like those original 70 folks, like a lot of them were still there. There are a lot that are well over decade, 15 years like I was. Um, and so a lot of great legacy relationships. And then the Wasserman tree as people left, you know, they would stay in sports. So there's just a lot of connections in the industry sports overall, but really coming from Wasserman and really good people. I mean, at the core of it, it is a global sports marketing and entertainment company. I mean, they handle brand consulting dollars in terms of helping them identify, you know, where to spend them in sports entertainment. They negotiate those deals. They activate those deals. They can make creative executions on site experience or activation. Also just negotiate and make sure they get good deals done. Um, there is the property side of the house where I did a lot of work and then ran that division for multiple years before I left, which focused on working with professional teams, leagues, rights holders, really on helping them kind of maximize revenue um, through sponsorship strategy, media rights, digital merchandise, things like that. And then there is the talent management side. Um, when I started, it was strictly athlete management, um, traditional, you know, big agency stuff straight out of Jerry Maguire, you know, represent terrific amount of basketball, baseball, global soccer, NFL, hockey, and then also action sports athletes. So they would actually represent a lot of professional skateboarders um, and surfers, et cetera, and still do. And, and when I left Washington, you know, Built by acquisitions, um, acquired a lot of different talent representation firms, other types of agencies, and, and got big into music um, with acquisition paradigm, I think in like 2019-ish. Um, so now represent a lot of musical talent. Um, they do a lot of the broadcast space. Um, they also have now just celebrity influencers that they represent from a talent side. Um, and are making more actual IP and content themselves with some of the recent acquisitions of the last couple of years. So kind of stayed in the core of that working with brands, working with properties, working with talent, 
kind of all on that intersection of culture and entertainment and, you know, taking more of that consultative approach. Um, and it, it's been great to see them grow. And, and I know they're continuing to do great things. But, yeah, they're a very, very big player in all the major stuff that everyone listening probably sees on a daily basis. Yeah, exciting. And as I said, I know Casey a little bit. Uh, we came across each other again, uh, probably it's sort of around the time when he started and uh, always stayed a bit in touch. Um, I haven't had him yet on the podcast, but uh, I'm sure eventually I will. Um, now, he obviously has a illustrious, you know, family history there as well. Uh, you know, his grandfather, I believe, uh, Lou Wasserman, was sort of the, the guru of uh, of Hollywood uh, in the entertainment mm-hmm. space. Uh I think yes, even, sir. Yeah, got to a point where it, it, I think he had to even break up the the company because he was an agent and I think the producers are in somewhat uh, authorities didn't like that. So uh, yeah, it's a, it's an interesting uh, uh, background there looking at that. Uh, and then I just read, uh, I think it was it's recently within the last few weeks or so, they there was a merger with a company called uh, Brillstein. So which I guess again yes. is the uh, is a sort yeah. of. Uh, Hollywood side of full it. circle. <laughs> He's back to yeah. in the production side, like his grandfather Lou had started with the Universal and as the king of Hollywood. Absolutely, yeah, it's interesting to see. So clearly, uh, you know, Casey's done extremely well there, and uh, you know, and and I guess he's also been the man of the hour, bringing uh, the LA Olympics uh, right as chairman. He was uh, very instrumental in that side. So he's done some uh, some amazing things here. Absolutely. Casey is all time. Um, he is an amazing human being, has personal and genuine relationships with all of his employees, contact. I mean, honestly, he was the, the reason I really wanted to go to Wasserman because, I mean, you said it, right? He's a grandson of Blue Wasserman coming with a really interesting POV. Also, you know, someone that doesn't necessarily have to work or didn't have to work, but decided I want to grow um, this awesome business in sports entertainment, do things a little differently. And yeah, obviously massive success. And so he, he's been great. Still talked to Casey a lot. That was probably the hardest thing was telling him that I was going to make a move. Um, cause he really is just like so influential and just such a genuine person. Um, great guy for sure. Yeah. And it sounds like you, uh, you enjoyed working with him, but what's sort of the, 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 the biggest trait working with him, you know, is it, is he just, yeah. what is he, uh, you know, what, what is the, the, that a hard thing which which someone has when you first meet him or when you work with him? Yeah, I think um, with Casey, there are a couple of things. I think, you know, one, he definitely taught me, like, surround yourself with great people. Um, Be curious, right? Like, don't always assume you know everything and really surround yourself with ones that are going to bring different POVs to the table and are able to execute and really, you know, help with that he would lead with vision you know have definitely patience and would have great people and trust them to do their jobs and and want to empower them and also you know not settle for the status quo i think that was the other thing of just because stuff has been done historically in a certain way and sports entertainment doesn't mean it needs to continue to be that way and i think it's proven that out with you know some of the deals done i mean Washington was, you know, the company that helped put Surface on the sideline, like the Microsoft tablets actually changing how the game is played and using that versus binders or breaking up the insurance category into two and telling, you know, showing the NFL how if you separate it and sell different types of insurance, USAA and whoever else, like you make more money than one or even with how he went to go get the Olympics, um, starting with the 24 bid into 28 I mean, Wasserman's launched the collective, which is an awesome group focused on kind of 
you know, female sports and talent and supporting and growing those and just constantly more like folks on doing the right thing than necessarily like here is what should be done because that is historically what has been done. So really kind of like not accepting that status quo, definitely surrounding yourself with great people and trusting them and, and really being patient and just staying curious. Yeah, I like it. I like it. Yeah. Um, now let's get back to your role here. Um, and, and I want to deep dive into a bit deeper, um, you know, from yeah. you know, coming out of Sportnet, I think you sort of, you know, moved into a, you know, into the digital side of the business. So, uh, you know, tell us a bit more exactly what that means, um, what you were doing there as, you know, uh, director and later on vice president there of digital before we get into the property business side. Yeah, no, absolutely. It was, it's funny because like, when I was in college, we were one of the first five or six schools, I think, to get access to the Facebook at the time when you had to have a .edu email address. Okay. And I remember like using it my senior year of college basically to look at what all the incoming freshmen were like and then find <laughs> myself the in a role. I mean, yeah, of course, right? Um, it was an easy way to do it. It's literally called the Facebook. Uh, and then found myself a few years later at Wasserman um, being one of the you know younger persons that you know would at the time there wasn't the term digital native, but actually having familiarity with using Facebook and other things, um, being involved in sort of some action sports stuff where they don't have linear TV distribution, they don't have a lot of events. So already these type of athletes, we're talking like Ryan Sheckler, you know, the world back when he had a show on MTV they already had a really good following in social media because that was the place people could actually find them and interact because they weren't consistently competing in events. Ryan had his right. own TV show, so it was a little separate. And so because of that, they had an opportunity at the time disproportionately compared to other athletes to capitalize on it. And so a lot of the athletes, a lot of the agents, a lot of the brands were asking questions on like, hey, can we do a post with athlete X on their Facebook page? Could we do a fun type of sweepstakes um, leading up to this event to try and get fans involved and we'll pay you for it, right? Like a normal kind of sponsorship, but just really activate it in a different way. And those questions ended up kind of getting routed to me and a couple others that just because of our age and we grew up knew a little more about these platforms. And so got my head together with um, an amazing mentor friend and also awesome person in the industry. Another one you should talk to and Jennifer Van Dyke, um, who had been at Washington for a couple of years on the brand consulting side, new digital as well, kind of got our heads together and like, Hey, there are a lot of these asks coming in. Um, there clearly is a business opportunity for us to actually like, build a digital division and help consult internally to our agents, to our athletes, to our brands, to our properties and help them monetize their digital channels. And it could be everything from actual community management. So like doing the posts to increase their follower count and managing the accounts to what I was saying earlier, like putting together essentially brand sponsorship deals that were put out on their social media channels, um, you know, creating fan sweepstakes and video competitions and user generated content, and then starting to do that at scale and, you know, subcontracting out to build many applications that could be on the Facebook page. And, you know, for example, like within the digital division, um, at the time, Washington was agency of record and still is for Royal bank of Canada, RBC. And, 
they have some amazing golf events um, that they run and that they are, you know, titled sponsored of. And as part of that, we wanted, you know, we were tasked with trying to engage, you know, the larger fan base and community and get a lot of people talking about it. So we came up with an idea of essentially doing like a virtual closest to pen competition where we had all of the RBC sponsored golfers you know, have a unique hashtag that they would post on their social channels with little competitions to try and get their fans to answer trivia, show off their trick shots, but essentially retweet, share on Facebook, post with this hashtag. And every time fans posted that specific hashtag of the player, we created like a website um, that each player had their own virtual golf ball and it was going to the virtual hole and it was all branded RBC and the balls literally got closer to the hole every time. And as it did, it would unlock like donations that RBC was giving right. to individual children's charities, right, for each of the golfers. In fact, that sounds like that was sort of the, the early days of influencer marketing um, of what we're talking yeah. about here, right? So uh, now, of course, it's it's huge business, right? And, and we, we all see this. But uh, as you said, this was still early days in the, in the digital space at the time, right? Yeah, so it was, it was early days and digital days. Influencer marketing, you nailed it before that was even a term. Right. So we're, we're doing that on the talent side. But then also it was early days of live streaming. So again sticking in action sports, like no linear TV, but huge events going on, um, you know, and, and now what has been uh, World Surf League, but it didn't used to be called that. And it was just, you know, the, the big surf, there was the Vans Triple Crown of Surfing and it culminated the year with these big events in Hawaii. And so Wasserman and Sportnet actually acquired the live rights to the Vans Triple Crown of Surfing, I think in 2007. Um, so one of the fun jobs I had at the age of 23 was to get flown out to Hawaii to oversee our live webcasts of the Triple Crown of Surfing right. because we had sold in to Sun as a sponsor. So we had a whole team that literally did a live webcast, had to prop that up on the North Shore of Hawaii, um, you know, line that up, had a brand integration into it, and then people tuned in to watch. So now you think like, yeah, there are live streams of every sport yep. um, through all these apps, not just online, but at the time that was literally like revolutionary back then. So it was funny how, you know, the digital vision right there, just timing wise was the start of influencer marketing was the start on some of these live stream live webcasts. And now it is every day, everywhere, everyone's doing those things. Yeah. Were you guys, what, what, what platform were you using? Was YouTube already around at the time or? YouTube was around, oh man, I'm trying to remember. It was not on YouTube. I mean, we had a like tricorder published. I think we put it on our surfspot.com website because we were trying to drive traffic. Right. Maybe there was on a Facebook page and some content, but no, it wasn't even live stream on YouTube at the time. It was still like a owned and operated single right. website that okay. we had to push people okay. to. Yeah, we did that too. I think we had something called Total Sports TV or whatever. So I think we all started there. Um, some more successful right. than others, of course. But uh, yeah, I think the, as you rightly said, um, this is sort of why we sometimes delve into this. Um, just uh, going back and, and realizing, you know, how long it is, uh, you know, or how the industry has evolved, you know, from those days where it was a little website um, and you're trying to put some some content on it versus, yeah, everything is being streamed now. Everything is live and whether it's, you know, live on the Facebooks of the world or or other platforms, um, it's amazing. Now, 
so the digital you spent you know a reasonable amount of time there in the digital role um you know and uh, you know grew this so i see you had 50 you know clients and so on um so most of it is what we, what you just sort of as uh, shared as an example is that the business which you guys were growing at that time in the in the digital side of things or was there other parts to it yeah so i mean it was a lot of that it was basically how can we you know this is another casey mantra like um get more business from current clients or go get more clients. And so we would use it to help get incremental revenue and fees from our brands, athletes, properties that we work with to run these sort of marketing campaigns to build out digital strategies. Sometimes projects were just on reporting, right? So just like do a audit of, you know, their content strategy and posting, you know, suggest any sort of optimization um, ideas for it. And then, yeah, we, we would do separate from Wasserman larger retainer clients, like go out and get our own individual projects. Um, and it would be similar kind of small campaigns to, you know, drive fan engagement. It could be specific community management of, you know, channels to grow and or coming up with, you know, sweepstakes and building out web pages and landing pages to kind of just help execute all, right. all of the above. Yeah. And it got to the point where it was like, hey, there's a lot of great business here. We're supporting 50 clients. But now digital is like a daily part of the work stream of everything. So it didn't make sense to have a digital silo or digital division when digital was already happening in athletes, brands and properties. So we kind of split up the division and made it more horizontal and then staff specialists that did more stuff on athlete within the athlete group, staff people that were working more on the brands within the brand consulting group and same on the properties um, because it just didn't make sense to continue to be a silo at that point. So let's talk properties because um, that's sort of a term which you know shows up in your CV later um, and it's clear what you spend the last several years there. Um, you know, eventually as the senior VP. Um, so what does properties for him mean or what does properties in Wasserman mean? Uh, and again, what are you guys doing there? Yeah, so pretty much defined as a rights holder. Um, so someone who has rights that you can monetize, typically a professional team, a league, um, a overall federation, a conference, an organization like FIFA, a university, or even a physical venue, perhaps, you know, someone that is actively selling sponsorship, um, has a lot of fans coming in and they're selling ticketing and premium ticketing, or has content that they are doing media rights deals with ESPN, CBS, you know, all the streaming platforms, one-off event or overall league. Um, so that's how we define properties. Sure. Um, a lot on esports as well, um, esports organizations, um, teams, uh, kind of all of them, and anything to help them make more money. Uh, that's and where we. The work. list is long. I mean, I'll just let me just uh, throw a few names out here. Right, I think you guys work with pretty much all the major leagues, obviously in the United States. Uh, UEFA, FIFA is here. You know, individual teams. I see the Lakers, 49ers, Manchester City. Um, what else? We Activision Blizzard, uh, Oakview mm -hmm. Group. Uh, you name it. Uh, like you said, it is. It's a large uh, mix uh, of you know clearly some of the biggest biggest names in the world. Um, so you know, and what is it? And, and it's always it's different for everyone of what it exactly you guys are doing, or or how would you define it then? Uh, where you know, how do you get into? How do you walk into the NBA or into you know whatever the Forty Nine and saying, look, we want to do some business with you. How can we help you? Where, where is the starting point here? Yeah, no, it's a great question. I mean, so we eventually kind of created some products within the properties division that were pretty 
common of a need, right? Like one would still be leveraging that digital background, working with a lot of teams to essentially do some, you know, sales training workshops with their sellers and their digital teams on here's how to package your assets owned and operated on the Seahawks social media website, et cetera. Um, what they are worth in terms of fair market value, how to incorporate them into an integrated sponsorship package, how to identify which sponsors make sense to pursue. So basically Mm -hmm. arming them with all the material to go execute. So that would be like a pre-sale product. Then we also got into the post-sale kind of performance measurement game. So sure you're familiar with Nielsen and RepuCom and kind of were the only players in the space for a while that actually tracked the performance of assets, like meaning how often did those logos show up on TV, on social and digital, how clear were they? Um, How does that translate to media equivalency value and legacy companies? They're great. They're solid, but there were a lot of gaps um, we had identified in the industry just in terms of some rights holders wanting, you know, quicker turnarounds, um, some wanting like kind of better kind of benchmarks and, and actually white space analysis um, and just more accurate and realistic numbers. And so we basically identified that gap and, and were able to develop our own product, um, you know, partnering with a company that had image recognition technology, you know, doing a, a multi kind of method valuation analysis to provide a couple different looks. And, and so we went in. And started to compete with the Nielsen Repicom of like, hey, we will measure all of your sponsor stuff and deliver great reports for you to give back to them. So it was creating a couple products um, within it. Obviously, Casey can get you in the room with anyone and leveraging that name. Um, we, we also spent a lot of brand dollars, so I had a lot of pre-existing relationships. And, and something I always tried to do was, you know, create like one to many opportunities do a lot of work for the league, the NBA, the NFL, you know, ask to do some free studies, talk at their sponsorship summits, talk at their club business development workshops where they can put you in front of all the teams and then just create those relationships with the teams and start to kind of work in, you know, your individual products that way. So we, we started with small projects, like we made it pretty easy and then grew it to kind of larger relationships with those rights holders from there. Mm-hmm. Nice, I like that. Uh, now, you, your role was not necessarily to find money for them, right? It was more you were more educating them how to find it and and give them tools to uh, you know analyze it, etc. Right? You weren't really a sales agent per se, or were there other parts of the business which was doing that too? Yeah. So um, historically, at Washington, they were never a full funnel sales agency. So they would never directly represent the properties. Um, we had a lot of brand dollars that would buy stuff, but we would be more of the objective third party valuation resource or helping them with the pre-sale process of identifying more prospects. And then really, yeah, that measurement post-sale and, and, and making sure they're showcasing value and how to optimize things to make them work more. We would make casual introductions, but no, we wouldn't directly sell. The only instance where we did that was on the media rights side. We would directly sell on behalf of certain clients right. on media rights right. um, and actually negotiate those deals directly. Yeah. Um, recently, though, Wasserman acquired CSM. I'm sure you've seen that in the news. So yeah. it does look like they are going to have that direct sales arm you know, with CSM handling that. Yeah, interesting. Now, look, uh, uh, I think we've we've got a good glimpse now of uh, of the Wasserman Group and clearly some of the roles you've been playing there. Uh, let, let's move. Yeah, on. I mean, we helped like one more thing because like yeah, we helped at Wasserman back to like doing things differently. Like, I mean, we 
helped roll out the entire NBA jersey patch with the NBA. Like we did a bake off with a couple other providers um, helping the NBA understand what these jersey patches could be worth. And then we were named a preferred vendor for all the teams to then work with once the NBA announced that these jersey patches were available in terms of doing custom valuations, brand targeting, giving them all the materials they would need to sell that. And then we did the same thing with NHL and with MLB. So we kind of became like a lot on the Jersey patch valuation side. I want to say I've probably done like 40 of those across the sports um, over a couple of years. And that's that's obviously, yeah, that's, I actually, I picked that up. I forgot the, I was going to ask about it uh, because clearly that's a, that's a big thing, right? Um, Having actually logos on a Jersey, especially for the NBA was a, was a brand new thing, right? And obviously in European football, it's been there forever. Uh, but uh, yeah, it, it really didn't exist. So, um, what the, the, give me some numbers there on you know what are these patches go for? You know what are sort of the average deal sizes you've seen there? Um, you know just to give people a sense. Yeah, I mean you, you're starting to see now at least the last year and a half there has been an abundance of inventory. So I think some of the prices are plateauing and normalizing a bit, and it's becoming a little more local. But you know on the higher end. Uh, you know, excluding global soccer, right? Like, you know, global football where, you know, furniture, EPL, Liverpool deal can get in the 70 million U.S. a year. But if we're just talking in U.S. sports, like on the high end, uh, basketball, you're about 30 million, 25 to 30 a year with the BBGO okay. deal and the Lakers. Um, you know, the Yankees and Red Sox are close to 20 on, on their baseball ones. And then on the lower end, you know, you're getting kind of that four or five mil a year, although hockey, some of those clubs, they split up their patches, you know, for a home jersey and then a away jersey. And that may drop the price to like one and a half to two million a year. So there is a range, but I would say like the common median is probably more in that nine to 12, eight to 12 million a year range for, you know, a NBA, a MLB level, um, NHL and MLS are not getting there. Absolutely. They're serious money. Yeah, that's well, that's money. Why you, <laughs> I mean, you see some the open are low, right uh, small, right? I mean, it's we're not talking football size, you know, front of jersey stuff here. We're talking these little small little logos on the top of the sleeve most of the time. At least, you know, talk about uh, basketball now. You're, I mean, I'm not sure how big they are in uh, yeah, in they're sports. they're like two and a half inches by two and a half inches. They are small. They're on all of the merchandise. They are on all the social media collateral. When you're putting the players, it kind of is a walking billboard. So there are a lot of places that it shows up, and it's more around how to tell the story, kind of using that asset as an anchor. But, yeah, relatively speaking, it's still small compared to a furniture, um, you know, soccer club type of jersey. Yeah, yeah. Oh, interesting. But uh, no, great. I mean, uh, that, that's really interesting. Obviously, it's, it is. Uh, so, it was the NBA the first one, and then the other leagues started after, or how did that, how did that come across? Yeah. So, um, I mean, soccer naturally, there's stuff. So, MLS yeah, would have some, but NBA, NBA really rolling it out first of the big four in the U.S. Okay. Um, and then NHL, and then MLB right behind them. Um, was kind of the order and honestly we helped roll out all of those um, with right. the NHL we were the official agency of record for the entire league for three years so both pre-sale and post-sale we helped them roll that out also the DED stuff um, I still say we a lot um, obviously have tons of ties still <laughs> at Wasserman even though I haven't been there for a year and a half that's another Casey mantra and Elizabeth Lindsay it's always we not I um, which is great and so, yeah, like there are a lot of patches. I mean, uh, so the NFL of, does not have any of that yet. 
Oh, no, the shield does not. The shield always will go last. They are so powerful and make so much money already. They will wait. Um, and right now, I mean, you're seeing like there are a lot of open patches um, on the NHL, on MLB. There are a couple still in basketball. There's a lot of inventory out there, a lot of events coming in. So it's not the time the NFL is going to jump in and do it. They don't need it right now um, in terms of new inventory. They'll wait. Cool. Interesting. The NFL did the international, though. I mean, they had their, well, now it's called the Global Markets Program. It was the International Home Marketing Area Program a few years ago. That was another thing we helped roll out with the league, um, basically allowing the NFL teams to sell rights globally in different regions. So, you know, the Rams can sell rights down in Mexico, and then they right. can activate with those brands down in Mexico, which, again, commonplace in global soccer, never was allowed yeah, in the big U.S. sports. Right. Uh, I had some of Seen those. a trend here, right? <laughs> Correct, yeah. Even the NBA had, didn't have that, right? Absolutely. Uh, for the longest time, you were... You for the longest sell, time. Yeah, you could sell whatever in your neighborhood, so to speak, right? <laughs> where there were radios of where it was, uh, you know, 50 kilometers, 100 kilometers, right? and that's it. Um, and now they're sort of allowing it, obviously, for teams to... You know, go to China or go to other places to to make some money, and uh, and you know, I come from the football, what you call it, soccer world, uh, and that is just the most common thing, right? They've been running around Asia forever, um, picking up yeah. dollars here and, and large sums, um, you know. But I have to admit, until I did that podcast a, a few months back, uh, I never realized that that was so restricted for U.S. sports. Um, you know, it's 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 almost the complete opposite to some degree, um, so. Yeah, different world. Now let's get into your current world, um, the world yes. of demand sports. Um, like I said earlier when we started, um, I felt uh, after listening, after we spoke, um, this is such a unique thing that people really should understand what you guys are doing, uh, especially now with your people understanding your background, where you're coming from, working with properties and helping them, you know, create. I guess new ways of selling. Uh, this is again a tool which does this, right? So. Let's explain a bit, you know, how uh, Demand Sports works, um, the background of it. Of course, there is a platform called Lasso. Um, so let's get into all this stuff. So give us the sort of uh, sales spiel here uh, to start with. Yeah, so uh, tons of fun at Demand Sports. Basically, perfectly able to transition from the role at Wasserman working on all these pre-sale consulting work, post-sale measurement into the role now where we are directly helping the same type of clients, properties, rights holders sell their sponsorships. Um, essentially, it is a top of the funnel accelerant where we use artificial intelligence to get super smart about brand prospects. We use the AI to go get the verified valid contact information of the relevant contacts we want to engage. So if we're talking sponsorship, thanks people with marketing in their title. Mm -hmm. Then we also use it to get some information about those recipients so we can write personalized notes at scale, personalized emails, personalized LinkedIn outreach. And then we have you know people like a managed service, dedicated account team, that lives behind the scenes to do all of these email sends, all of the replies, handle all the objections once you get an interested reply, coordinate a meeting time, chase them down and book the meeting. And we book it directly on our clients, you know, basically calendar for them to take the meeting. So we're not taking any meetings directly. Hmm. We're just handling all that upfront grunt work right. that normally a seller would have to do themselves and free up the sellers to literally just be on the phone as much as often or in person, taking meetings, building relationships, trying to close them. 
Um, so I mean, I, we, we I, can, said, I yeah. said that last time too. If I had this 30 years ago when I started um, run, running through yellow pages and uh, finding folks, yeah, this is this is a this is a dream. I think for anyone in sales. Now, and and of course the buzzword of AI, you you already brought it up, is there. Um, so let's let's talk a bit about it. What is the what's the real magic tool behind it, right? I think it's called Lasso, uh, which obviously comes from the the company Demand, which is didn't start. You know, this is not a tool just created for sports, right? It is a tool which correct. Is for, yeah. So outsourced business development has been more common in the B two B tech space for a while, and so that's where Demand Inc. started, uh, the mm-hmm. overall umbrella company, and still exists. And we do a lot of work in just helping tech companies sell to other tech. Right. When I got you know linked up with them, I was like, all right, sports is not that advanced in terms of using tools to go sell. It's still kind of antiquated, yeah. old school. You have legacy sellers that have always you know sold through their relationships and Rolodex, and that is still very much you know relevant and gets the deals done. However. There's now like so much globalization, democratization of sports entertainment. There's so much more consumption, um, distractions, opportunities, competition, just in how we interact with technology on our phone, what we watch on TV. And so now it's not like only these four big sports. You know, a brand has like a thousand relevant opportunities they could activate, even back to the influencers we were talking about earlier. So there's a lot more competition, meaning there's a lot more noise and you got to cut through the clutter. And then also, you know, there are a lot of different kind of brands that could be relevant that historically sellers would never even thought of or didn't know. And so Hmm. that's where it was like, okay, how can we take this AI technology plus the framework that demanding has built and apply it into sports? And so really it is, you know, a product called Lasso that we use as part of our managed service. It literally lassos out and reels in just like a good old cowboy. Mm-hmm. Tons of relevant information, super, super fast. Mm-hmm. Um, it is put together with like back end API pipes to a lot of really good resources, right? So, just like a team would normally perhaps have a subscription into Media Radar to understand advertising spend around topics or in regions, or just like a, a team or league may subscribe to Sponsor United to understand historical sponsorships and sports investment or other sources like that. We basically, Lasso has back in pipes to those plus 20 others. And so when we go in and say, all right, I want to understand everyone that has a marketing title in the insurance category in the United States that has whatever criteria, revenue of 50 million or above, an employee count of 2,000, recent funding of 100 million, average advertising spend of 40 million a year, and I hit go, Lasso pings all of its pipes really, really fast, sends us back awesome information, a really pretty interface, like a glorified waterfall chart, gives us the company, gives us the person's name, their email contact, all of those data points I just mentioned, revenue figures, you know, the advertising spend. But it's also doing a real-time bounce test of the email in the background before it sends it back to us mm. so that we can guarantee the validity of it. So we know that yeah, it I is love that real. <laughs> right? Yeah. The it's bounce insane. rate's less than one percent. So you're not having to guess like this database says it's their email, but this database is only updated every month and a half. Ours is literally doing it real time in the moment, and it's cross-referencing so many tools that we know it's accurate. And, and 
it captures the job fluidity. I mean, we know people change jobs all the time. They change titles. So if you run a lasso today, it'll look very different than two weeks ago or two weeks from now. So it's a big differentiator. So like does all this number crunching in minutes, like literally like three minutes. And then the other thing it can do, we have it reading metadata, um, meaning just like websites, staff directories, what you're writing on LinkedIn. We, we integrated OpenAI's chat GPT into it. Okay. And so also when it reads all this information, it can go, hey, Zach, here's a subject line and a personalized first sentence hook that's going to resonate with Marcus. Mm. Here's one that's going to resonate with me. It may be based off of where we went to college and knows I play soccer or like it or something I just wrote on LinkedIn or my job title. Right. We're not having it write emails. Like we have a centralized copy team. It's way too nuanced um, sports sponsorship sales, premium ticketing. And so we kind of use best practices in a lot of those. But that first sentence, that subject line, that thing someone sees on their phone before they expand, that's the most important part. And that's where Lasso can help us do personalized outreach at scale. And I can get... 3,000 personalized hooks in three minutes, just like I can get information on whatever, these thousand companies that fit this criteria in three minutes. So because it shrinks down the time to get all that information from days, weeks, two minutes, and because it synthesizes it with like, here's what's interesting, it allows us to then work really fast at scale to just send those notes, handle replies, get a lot of meetings. Um, and so it's, it's basically just an efficient way to really get top of the funnel and let sales teams do what they do best. Just take more meetings, close deals, refine their pitch, find new opportunities. And so I mean, we, we can experience. I'm, I'm sold. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to do something with you guys here. That's for sure. Um, now, again, the, the AI part is set. I want to just sort of uh, understand a bit better. Um, that you, you, you know, I guess the uh, the underlying lasso as I guess the as the tool was created in house, but you are pulling in from you know so some of chat like you said Chat GPT or other AI services which are out there too, and then it sort of just algamates it all together. Or how can I? So the only yeah, yeah the only other AI that's infused is on the copy side is Chat GPT to give some personalized writing assistance oh, on messages. Okay. The rest of the AI is is lasso itself. Essentially, okay. it is just taking unstructured or structured data from these other databases mm-hmm. and then based on the query like the search query we're telling lasso to go find it's just pulling all the relevant information really fast from all these resources and putting it in a very clean list for us to look at and react to with all of it right there right, right. okay and i think last time we talked about it um this is Obviously, not just a North America or U.S. sort of thing, right? Uh, I believe you guys can do this in other oh, languages, yeah, and, and you can do it. That's where I was going to go. Right? Exactly. Yeah, the the global nature. Back to as a seller, you know, there's more competition, but also more opportunity because things are streamed globally. We now and you can sell rights globally, like we just talked about with NFL and NBA. There are all these opportunities where brands in Southeast Asia could be relevant to a lot of basketball teams or down in Latin America to a lot of soccer teams. And so, yeah, we're able to get, you know, the same type of data for brands in those regions. And so we could even add in a geographic filter back to the insurance category or banking and say, okay, we want the same stuff, but I only want it for Latin America. I only want it for these countries in Southeast Asia. Um, and then it'll give me those information. And then we have the ability with ChatGPT and also just our team and where they're from, we're remote distributed and global to write native language outreach. So if we want to help 
like we do the Rams, you know, monetize down in Mexico with the sponsorship rights they have, we can do native language outreach in Spanish on those emails, links in, handle those in reply. We've done some stuff in French and Portuguese. We've even done some initial outreach in Japanese for an NBA client that was heading out there for some events, but then really just unearth brands that are really relevant. Like, and that's where there's a lot of value because like the legacy sellers don't necessarily know all of those relevant international brands. Yeah. Um, and especially like they'll know the big players, but they don't know the ones that whatever signals we're seeing mean, Hey, they're about to do more in the U S maybe we see that they are increasing the number of job postings that, you know, allow you to be located in the U S mm. maybe there is a signal on, they're on a pre IPO list in a certain region, meaning they're going to want to be known before they go public. So they're probably going to do a big awareness play, some big splashy asset that's going to get them global awareness and eyeballs. That's an opportunity for brand in the U.S., even if the company is based you know, internationally because the platform of a jersey patch or a naming right. So we're, we're able to unearth the brands they don't know about are relevant or that are about to become active in sports entertainment before they are just because we're tracking their year-over-year increase in spends in certain areas, or we're tracking that there are some executives that just moved over there that used to be a, this other company that clearly did a lot in sports in the U.S. That's what they're about to do, or that they just opened an office in this area and are increasing the number of employee count. Hey, we should hit them up for premium ticketing and maybe something local because they want to plant a flag in this city. I mean, I can see this you know, in the U.S. This is, uh, this is a no-brainer, and, and like you said, with the relationships you already have and the groups you work with, um, you know, and you're only in this uh, for a year and a half, so I'm, I'm sure you've yeah, your handful uh, just you know uh, pushing it in the market itself. Um, have you gone out already a bit overseas? Are you doing something with I don't know yeah. football clubs in Europe or or other parts around the world? Just if can you some examples here? Yeah, no, no, we are. We um, we have seller based in the UK. We have some staff globally. We are international. I mean, we support a lot of the global direct sales agencies that handle global properties. Um, we do work with Spartan Race directly. They're a global endurance sports brand that has international Joe events. Has been on yeah. the podcast. He's a good friend. There you there you go. Um, obviously, some of the work with U.S. teams is specific around their international rights. Like I mentioned, the Rams. Um, we are working uh, with an English Premier League club right now on okay. some jersey patch opportunities and practice facility, and that's obviously specific, uh, uh, mostly around Europe and Southeast Asia, some U.S. brands as well. Um, so, yeah, there's a lot. Like we, we do a lot on the global motorsports through some agency work that has races all over the world um, and are picking more up. So, yeah, we're at about – 40 clients right now um, in the last year and a half just on the sports side. Um, and the beauty about, again, like the trust we built and the work we did, I did at Wasserman with a bunch of folks and came over to demand. I was like, this product works. Trust me. Let me show you the proofs in the pudding. And then it takes one deal, right? More than pays for us. So it's very yeah. easy to, yeah, show the ROI is like, oh, wow, you got these meetings with these people we've never heard of and then one led to a deal or you got these meetings with these brands we haven't been able to break through on? Yes, please. So that's been like the sales pitch. Like you yep. said, I'm already sold. Like, And then we have all these proof points of different types of deals that we've done for teams. Um, so it's been a lot of fun. But yeah, the global stuff's picking up. We are 
doing a lot more dedicated focus on trying to work more directly, you know, with some teams in La Liga, um, with some teams in the Bundesliga. Obviously, some of the teams here in the U.S. are part of ownership groups that also own some of those other teams. So you can imagine the, the cross-pollination that's going on. Yeah, no, I love it. I love it. Uh, as I said, you know, having done this pretty much my whole life, uh, a bit more the hard way than <laughs> the way you can ex explaining it right now. Uh, I love the sound of it. Uh, now let's talk a little bit. Just give a g general sense. Um, how do you, if I'm, you know, if, if I'm a property owner and I, I want to hire you guys, what do I pay? How do I pay? What's the fee structure, or you know, whatever you can share here? Yeah, no, I can definitely break that down because we try to make it really easy. Again, like. Coming from sports, I, I know, you know, rights holders love to sign the back of checks, not the front of checks, right? Yeah, exactly. So, you know, we try to make it really nimble. I tell people, think of demand sports as a dial. You can dial us up, dial us down, point us in any direction. We're happily take everything. We could take an individual asset, specific categories. We could take the trash. It doesn't matter. <laughs> we want to make sure we're being additive and providing that new. Because like the other thing, we operate white label. No one knows we exist in the process. We're sending from our client's domain. And then also with all of our outreach, we give it to them. We're integrating it into their CRM. So they are going to get all those named accounts, contacts, messages for them to go nurture later. Mm. And so... We do a managed service. There are two components to our fees. Um, there is a monthly retainer that is volumetric, meaning it is tied to the amount of outreach that we are doing on behalf of our clients. Mm -hmm. um, we kind of track the number of unique contacts we're engaging um, as a more important metric than emails because, you know, we'll send people into a five, six email sequence and I don't really care if they reply to the first email to take the meeting or the fourth or fifth email. Are they the right person in taking the meeting? So we, we normally guarantee um, up to 3,000 unique contacts a month. And, you know, that that's a modest kind of retainer of around six, seven thousand dollars U.S. Mm -hmm. uh, there's a lot of great discounting if we wanted more contacts and the allocation in that context. It doesn't matter. Right. It can be for a global outreach. It could be national. It could be some premium ticketing, some sponsorship really doesn't matter. It's just mm -hmm. around the contacts. And then we have a success fee, and, and that success fee is either a one-time bounty of $100 for a booked and attended meeting, um, or it is a super small percentage of close one revenue, so more performance-based. And then that, we know we don't do full funnel sales, so it is smaller percentages, and it's just modeled out based on, you know, the assets we're trying to sell. Um, so, you know, it could be X percent, you know, 2% for the first, whatever quarter million we deliver. Maybe it's 3% for the next 500,000. Maybe it's 4% if we do over a million. So that obviously we're incentivized to go bigger, but then can make it very palatable for teams. And then the other thing is we don't have to do annual contracts. Like we're only looking for 90 day paid pilot programs to start because that's enough time for us to get up and running get super smart about, you know, whatever the client is representing and selling, um, put together all our research messaging, do that outreach, get a bunch of meetings for the client to take and allow them to see success. And so we do these 90 day programs. Everyone on sports has extended. It typically rolls into month to month after with a 30 day opt out on either side. We definitely have some clients that have been with us for multiple years in a row just because we provide a steady volume of meetings. And, and that way they don't have to have a super large sales staff or it just continues to complement their sales staff and they don't want to get rid of us. Yeah. But then we also have a lot of clients that will use us for like a six, seven month sprint, like truly 
accelerate our top of funnel. We need a bunch of meetings. Then we're going to pause for a couple months because we need to do our follow-ups and we need to convert. We need to activate these deals. Seasonality wise, it doesn't make sense to maybe sell for December or January. So let's pause and then pick it back up in February. Mm-hmm. And we do all of that. So we try to make it super easy for people to use it, get a lot of benefit, pause, come back when they need us again. Or if you want us always on, you know, have something that's really cost effective in a way that, you know, essentially like we're returning, you know, a thousand percent ROI against, you know, what one or two employee salaries would be. No, I love it. Like I said, that I'm sure anyone listening um, in this space, if he doesn't pick up the phone uh, and call you guys to understand it more, then I can't help him <laughs> and then let him do it the hard way. And uh, if someone tries to reach you, uh, besides finding you, of course, on LinkedIn, uh, you have a, you want to drop in an email address here or what's the yeah, best no. of you? Yeah, two things. So uh, email is Zach at demandsports.co, Z-A-C-K at demandsports.co. In the tech world, we're super cool, I guess, and don't have M's on email. So I have to tell all my sports friends that it really is .co. You also can go to demandsports.co, the website. There is a type form intake. Um, You guys can submit a couple pieces of information. It'll automatically schedule a meeting with me um, or someone on my sales team to talk through it. Um, and then also like the, the funny part, Marcus, um, with people that we don't know, when we're doing outreach, we'll use our same technology and framework that we use for our clients to prospect for ourselves. So we use demand as we should. Right. And so when sometimes you get some of these people on the phone that are like, Hey, I never take meetings like this. Maybe I'll take like three or four years. I get hit up all the time by vendors saying they can help, but I don't know, something about your note just really stuck with me and, and cut through the clutter. They're like, how'd you, you know, get a hold of me? And I'm like, well, you know, actually like the, the same thing I just took you through is exactly what we use to get a hold of yeah. you. The, you know, the name Tiffany or whoever emailed you actually doesn't exist. So like that's us handling it. They're like, oh my God, that's amazing. So the proof <laughs> can be in the pudding with the outreach. And it's always a fun conversation when it happens. Cause like, yeah. that's the best street cred right away without me having yeah. to sell. I was like, well, it, it worked to get you on this call, man. So exactly. let's use it for other brands. I like it. I like it. Nice. Uh, Zach, I think that's a, that's a perfect sort of time to start wrapping it up here. Uh, I think we, uh, if people get the idea um, and uh, you know, there, hopefully we, we, with this podcast here, we sort of tweak in their interest, which is you know part of the, the exercise. Um, now to wrap it up, you know, the U S is, is, uh, is going to have an influx of amazing events uh, coming here, starting with the world cup in 26 uh, Olympics, 28. Um, you know, you spend your whole life in the market there and, um, tell us a bit about it. What, what do you see happening? Uh, is is there an excitement starting to build up, um, or you know, where, where is it in the sales cycle and other things? Because I've heard, like you said, there's a lot of product coming in the market too. Right, uh, the World Cup obviously has its own domestic, uh, you know, sponsorship packages. The Olympics even more uh, is even more complicated. Right, what do you see happening? Just just from your perspective, a bit. Yeah, I mean, you forgot even a couple things. FIFA moved their whole legal department in the U.S. We got the Copa Americas that's are going to be right, hosted in the yeah, U.S. Uh, as the diehard, as a diehard soccer fan, I could not be more excited for what the next like four or five years in the U.S. are going to mean in terms of global global soccer coming in the states. It's great. Um, the excitement's at an all time high. I mean, you see that 
with the new stadiums that have been constructed. You see that with a lot more international presence, both in the brand side, also in the ownership group. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and really like just the preparation for like their air event after event after event for each year over the next five, six, seven years. And then even back at the Washington days and again at demand with how some of these rights holders own some of those venues, they have a team, but also, Hey, in our stadium, there is going to be a world cup game. There are going to be Olympics here. And literally the Olympic village is going to be right down the road from us. All of these things are going on. Let's say you're AEG and, you know, as part of your crypto.com naming rights deal, of course, you're going to talk about all the other events that are coming in 26 from World Cup to the Olympics in 28, because crypto.com center will be seen in all of those with all the influx of people coming to L.A. So even though they may not be hosting something directly, indirectly, it's going to amplify the value and the visibility of that signage in that stadium. And so. In those big markets where all these things are happening, you see like these rights holders think, okay, how can we capitalize on all these new eyeballs coming in, um, both in person and through the extra TV? And just now we have timeline extensions. We're relevant more than just when our teams are playing. We want to capture those dollars and then sell that back to brands because it is fair market value. It is real. And then it also becomes more interesting for brands that may be international and be like, hey, this isn't just a play in L.A. or this state with this team. There are these global events coming six of them in the next six years that are all then going to pass through. So we're going to get and capitalizing a lot of that global appeal and we want that. So now we're more interested as an international brand in sponsoring said city, said team, said state because of all these global events coming. So yeah, like it's kind of the rising tide raises all boats and then the markets that are going to have some of those actual fixtures from the World Cup side or on the Olympics. I mean, the opportunities are massive. Yeah, yeah, no, it's a, it's a very exciting time to be in, in, you know, in the World Cup of is North America white. It's not just the U.S. with you know, Mexico and Canada, no, Mexico course, and uh, Canada, all three part of it as well. Um, so I'm sure I'll be there. That's how actually that's how I started. My first job was at the 1994 World Cup in the United States. So you know, that's 30 amazing. years, you know, when this next event is coming up in 26, I'll be coming yeah. back and. Celebrate some anniversary. When, when the soccer kids had collars and baggy like sleeves and were not attractive compared to today's football kids. Um, yeah, yeah, they're, I they're, remember they're, that. It was a, it was fun time. So, Zach, uh, can I leave with one thing, Marcus? Just please, on, for the listeners, because. I did this. um, We do a lot of work with Live Nation the other week, and, and basically presented to their sales team, kind of on. Don't be afraid of this generative AI train that has taken off. Like it has happened, that artificial intelligence train. It's not coming back in the station. So anyone listening, like just be curious, just embrace it. Sign up for Google Bard, sign up for ChatGPT, read a couple things on Twitter, X, whatever it's called now. Um, and just use it. Like you literally can go in to Google Bard and type, what are the top hundred fintech companies? in the state of Tennessee. All right. Now redo that list and show me the annual revenue and recent funding. Also display that as a table and then you can export as a CSV file and start your prospecting. You could go, Hey, what would be some personalized hooks of this person and insert their LinkedIn URL 
into a copy AI, a chat GPT, a Google Bard, and it'll tell you a bunch of interesting things that then you can use to try and, you know, get in touch with them. So AI can help all of you. Um, be curious with it. There are all these fun things. It's not going to take the sales job. It'll allow you to work faster. And then feel free to reach out because we're having a lot of fun, but always love to educate, always love to share when I can. I by no means am an AI expert. I have to read as much as everyone every day. And if I don't read for a week, I'm behind. That's how fast it's moving. So nice. try to be comfortable living in the gray and just embrace that curiosity because it's really fun. I mean, like I still think Judgment Day and, and Terminator's happening, but it's not happening right now. So, you know, <laughs> let's let's have some fun before before we're gone. <laughs> right. I love it. Uh, that's a great way to wrap this up here, Zach. Uh, enjoy your hour. hour. And uh, learned a lot, uh, you know, a bit about Wasserman, of course, but definitely about uh, what you guys are doing here with Demand Sports and um, and how you're changing the uh, the sales, uh, you know, I guess approach and and uh, how you you know really make this, uh, like you said, a much more of a fun experience. Because I think for a sales guy, the prospecting is not the fun part. Right? You no, like being the there when, when you are you know closing or when you are you know pitching your products, uh, but you know finding guys and getting them on a call that's just a pain um and if you guys can deal with some of that or, or now there is a way to deal with it much better i think it's a, it's a good thing so uh thank you for sharing all that and uh, i'm sure we'll keep, keep keep talking some more here absolutely marcus thank you again for having me on uh please do reach out if anyone interested on the demand sports side we'll continue to have fun over here and marcus i'll see you soon when you come stateside definitely thanks The Sports Entrepreneurs by Marcus Lure Podcasts are a collection of interviews and stories. All content in this podcast is the copyright of Marcus Lure. Reproduction and distribution of the presentation without written permission of the owner is prohibited. All rights reserved.